It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the podcast, the Nature and Countryside podcast from BBC Country Farm magazine. And welcome to season 10, where we'll be exploring the histories and mysteries of the British landscape. We'll be walking in ancient lands, unearthing forgotten myths and even stumbling across a few chilling tales of the supernatural. And of course, we won't forget to include all of our encounters with wonderful wildlife that we find along the way. My name is Fergus Collins, and I'm the host of the podcast. And later, I'll be joined by my podcast team to talk about listeners' emails and sounds of the week. But for now, we've reached episode four of this new series, and we're off to Wiltshire and the lost town of Old Sarum near Salisbury. The great walker and writer Christopher Somerville met up with our own Annabelle Ross to wander through the extensive medieval ruins here and they investigate the dark deeds that led to the town being abandoned. They also talk about the building of one of Britain's greatest cathedrals nearby at Salisbury. And you can find out more about this in Christopher's rather magnificent book, Ships of Heaven, The Private Life of Britain's Cathedrals. It's published by Doubleday. But now, let's head off to hear about the fascinating private life of Old Sarum with Christopher and Annabelle. Gosh, it's quite oh. a quite a muggy, hot day. It is, and, isn't it? especially after all that rain. But we might miss the thunderstorms. You think? Yeah, I hope we will. Hope yeah. we will. So, um, if you could just give us a description of this incredible yes. view. Yes. Um, well, we're going to walk along here. This is we're walking along a thin uh, path on one of the ramparts of Old Sarum um, Iron Age Hill Fort. What's, we're looking down into a ditch that must be about forty feet deep or fifty feet deep. Um, and then rising to a rampart, which goes to the top part of, of the old um, hill fort. All this was dug out by people with no more um, technology than sticks and stones, bits of antler, deer antlers, and possibly a little bit of iron, but basically a sweat of, sweat of pick and barrow. The sort of um, Iron Age navvies were doing this. And if you look at just the scale and the size of it, it's extraordinary. Anyway, you look out towards the south... The first thing that catches your eye is the sprawl of Salisbury behind its trees. And then, of course, the 404-foot spire <laughs> sticking up from the cathedral, um, which is part of our story. How old is that? Sorry, how old is Salisbury Cathedral? Did you? The cathedral we're looking at was built in the 1200s, so 13th century. Um, so it's 700 years old. And um, it was all built in 40 years, which is quite extraordinary because most of these cathedrals developed over... I think York, Minster, developed over 450 years. But that was just uh, 40 years, bang, done. Um, and it's, it's still the thing which dominates the, the view of this lovely shallow valley of the River Wiley and the River Avon and draws the eye. Yes, this is just a, it's a, it's a, a mass of grasses all the way around. I can see... Um, oh, this is, uh, this is Weld. That's a nice... Old-fashioned plant. The, ye- the yellow one? Yeah, the yellow one, that's right. Still oh. sticking out. Um, we saw some knapweed back there. These, these beautiful... Um, what is that? Is that goat's beard? Is that... That's yes, a, sort it like, that's looks beard. like a sort of giant dandelion. But that's it's, right, It's yes. goat's beard. Yes, yeah, goat's beard. And uh, it's called um, Jack Go to Bed at Noon, because it goes to bed at noon. And that, I think... Did you see that a, black and white one? Yeah, that's, a, that's wonderful. That's a marbled white butterfly oh. flitting around there. Fairly uncommon. They like they're just like this sort of this sort of um, thing here. Gosh, how lucky! Um, yeah, so, so flowers. This is the perfect you know perfect time to see it in midsummer. And we've got this curve of the of the rampart which goes round, 
you can imagine being a child and squeaking down there on a toboggan or yes. running, just running down there and going head over heels. <laughs> so the idea was the enemy would come up and then they'd see this big dip and they'd think, ooh, what are we going to do now? If they were sensible, <laughs> uh, if they continued, there'd probably be, there'd probably be a, uh, a, a, a wall of palings along there and one up there too. So you can imagine if you run up from the bottom, hello, gorgeous, how are you? <laughs> Not you, but this dog. Hello. Hello. Can you be? <laughs> Somebody's been trailing in the mud and the water. So, sorry, yes, the idea yeah, so, is... So if the, if the enemy came, well, they, they should be daunted anyway, because it wouldn't have looked like this. It would have been bare chalk. We're daunted to come up anyway, to, yes, to anywhere I mean, near it. I don't know. I, I really can't say. I mean, they, they, my guess is, if you wanted to attack somebody and you saw a double rampart as tall as this, with a great ditch in the middle, and people at the top throwing things at you and shouting and swearing and saying, what should we say, please go away, we don't want you here, you, <laughs> but, uh, your, your, your best bet would be to run away quick. So what, what, what would they have all been throwing at each other? Um, dung, um, insults, <laughs> curses, stones. But that, that would have been the people on the top throwing to the people on the bottom. People on the bottom, as I said, if they had any sense, they'd just go, oh, well, fair enough. Yeah, but the people at the bottom, they didn't have sort of catapults or anything sophisticated like that? Um, not, in, not in the days when this was built. Um, no, they would have, they, no, they wouldn't. Did we say when it was built? Well, it was... The, these, it's, there's probably been a stronghold here for a long time. I mean, thousands and thousands of years because it's this prominent um, hilltop. But I think this was probably built sometime, say, 500 BC, something like that. The actual structure was mounted up by, just by hand. And you wonder about the, you, you wonder about the imperative of doing this. Such a lot of hard work, such a lot of manual work, such a lot of people needed to, be, to, to mount it up. Um, it's the equivalent, in a way, of building that cathedral down there in terms of the, the manpower needs and the will, the will behind it. So uh, they must have had a very strong series of leaders to say, OK, get down to it. But the, but the um, castle that's on the... Still, there's small remnants of the castle on yes. top of this hill fort. When would that have been built? Do you know? Well, that was, that was built um, after the uh, Norman invasion in 1066. Pretty soon after... They built a, a moss or a mound, sort of like a pimple on top. <clears throat> and on top of that, they built the, the wooden castle, which lasted, I don't know, 40, 50 years, maybe less. Then they built a stone castle to, to supplement it or to supplant it. And that stone castle, um, of which the remnants we can still see now, was the source of a great deal of aggro and unhappiness um, between the clerics who eventually occupied this hilltop and uh, the vulgar military who stamped around inside. Hmm. Um, sorry, I'm just looking at more butterflies. Mm. Do, do, do um, name them for me if you can when we, as we walk through them. Yes, I'm sure you can. Um, so, sorry, the clerics mm. and the military, and they had a sort of constant barney between them, did they? Well, the um, problem with this hilltop was that uh, the, the Saxons, who were here before the Normans, call it Saraburg, Salisbury, Saraburg. Saraburg means dry town. So you get, can get from that that there, was, that there was a water problem. And you'd think the first thing you do when you look for a, a defensive site is, is there enough water to last a siege or to just have for everyday purposes? But this hilltop's on chalk, um, and the only way you could get hold of the water was either by very deep wells, which could run dry or you know cause problems to get water out of them or going for, to a spring at the bottom of the hill well you can imagine having to take a, a leather bucket down the hill fill it with water probably spilling some of it and bring it back on perhaps on a yoke two buckets on your shoulders um, and then having to repeat the process again and again as you needed more and more water it's just not really feasible so everybody found it although it was superb defensively everybody found it a very difficult place to actually maintain a day-to-day -day existence and um, part of the problem with the, with the castle was that the soldiers had great fun in restricting the water supply to the clerics and uh, I think there must have <laughs> there must have been a great deal of argy-bargy between the two of them <clears throat> I don't really know the reason why they would have chosen the hilltop uh, you know considering it's bad water supply but I suppose the you know you have to you have to weigh up your advantages and disadvantages perhaps the advantage of Occupying a hilltop which can see 
what is it, probably know, 30 miles of countryside from the top. Yeah. Perhaps that advantage, and being able to fortify yourself there, outweighed the fact that the water supply was always a problem. I think the military probably, at a guess, the military had their own reliable wells, which they used for their own purposes. But when the... Well, we haven't really talked about how the, how the clerics got up there, what the clerical um, sort of um, influence up the top there was. Yes, yeah, sorry, but, please, uh, we'll, please we'll, tell we'll, us. We'll yeah. do that, but um, just to say that uh, if you wanted to tease and annoy a group of people you didn't much like, a great way to do it was simply to say you can't have any water. Yes, teasing and noise, putting it rather yes, mildly, isn't quite. it? Sort of starving them to death or yes. thirsting them to death, whatever yes, the expression yes, is. Yes, that's the idea. Um, so, so the, but the clerics were there first. Is that? Gosh, it's quite slippery. Watch out! Yeah. No, you, I think I think the the uh, wooden castle was there first. We're talking about after the Normans invaded, and then it was decided it was going to be a great place to have a um, cathedral. Because it was fortified, you could make a... You know, it is slippery, isn't it? Yeah. The, this whole path is, is floored with flints and um, chalk, and the rain has made the chalk very slippery. Yeah, which so makes it uh, um, deceptively slippery. It is a tricky one. Um, we'll, go, we'll go across... There's a kind of cor- um, causeway crossing in a minute. OK. Um, yes, the, the, it was decided that it was a great place to build a cathedral. If you built a cathedral, especially if you're a Norman... Um, it was a, a statement of power and permanence. You, you, you'd, you'd, you'd invaded the country. People weren't particularly happy, probably, with, with your, with your um, rule. So if you had a large, dominating building on a hilltop, you had both showed you had God on your side. It also showed that you were in charge, in the power. And um, you could... It, it was, a, it was a, a very visible sign that you were there, it was your iron fist, not anybody else's. And uh, also, it, you could, let's say, it, the cathedral could beckon people towards God, but it could also be a great admonitory finger wagging and saying, you do what you're told. So the idea of a, having a cathedral here was a very good one. But there's no, um, there's no uh, remains of that cathedral, is there? You'll have to wait till we get up there and see. OK, uh, good. Well, really. <laughs> it's quite, it's quite, a, quite stunning what there is there. Um, so they built their cathedral... Um, it was quite a small one, um, at first of all. And then they decided about, say, early 12th century, 11-something, that they would have a better one. So they built this magnificent cathedral. Very long, very tall. You know, they had um, everything that they could possibly wish for in terms of wonderful buildings. But they had this water problem. And they also had this problem with the, with the soldiers who were established up there in that little enclave in the middle. Who blinked first? Well, that's what I... Yes, thank you for putting it, putting it very well for me. Who blinked first? Uh, well, I think, the, I think the clerics blinked first. Um, you had um, a situation where, it, for a start, it was very, very windy. Um, there's a, some letters exist from one of the clerics up here writing to a chum who says that, uh, that the wind was so savage that it sometimes blew the uh, roof off the, off the cathedral or it blew <laughs> holes in the roof. And it was howled so loudly that you couldn't hear the preaching or the singing. <laughs> so that was kind of a, a, a minus point. And um, because of the way the soldiers in the castle were behaving, he um, likened it to a temple of the Lord in the midst of, in the, midst of the temple of Baal. And uh, he was right, really. What does that mean? They well, were... I, think, I think a culture, you know, what, like you can have a bullying culture that grows up. I think a bullying culture grew up there, where the soldiers felt that it was felt they were superior. They were chest-beating, manly men, um, stamping their rounds on their walls, and you know, keeping the um, keeping the, uh, the the people safe and so on. Whereas the clerics, well, they're a bit of a waste of space, really. Blokes in skirts. I guess that was the the sort of macho um, myth that grew up. So the soldiers would delight in teasing the uh, clerics of the cathedral. For a start, they, they um, charged them outrageous prices for the, for the water. So the thing was, we have the wells, uh, yeah. we have the water. If you'd like it, please pay us a great amount of money. If you don't, you can go to the bottom of the hill and get it out of the stream, which is pretty much impossible. Here we've got a, uh, an earthen causeway which crosses this huge ditch. And we're going to go up here, go on to the top of the... Um, old serum, 
and go around the corner to see what's left of the cathedral. This seems to rather defeat the object of having a, um, a huge ditch when you've actually just got a little bit. The enemy might think, oh, we'll, we'll just take this path. That's pretty true. <laughs> A drawbridge is one thing, but a sort of very obvious path to me seems to defeat the object of... It does, and we can only assume that either this was built since, or that they had some very burly blokes on the other side saying, actually, keep away. Do you know, it seems to me, um, Christopher, that there's a sort of lack of a presence of women here in this story, which maybe sounds like it was much needed. I'm not sure. I mean, I I guess there were plenty of women here. After all, it it was a town that grew up here. But if the women had something to say, they didn't. They, it wasn't recorded, for obvious reasons. You know, the people were. That, that wasn't what happened then. Um, and there's no. There's no. Ah, oh, here's an old chum. I got some wonderful dogs. One of the here, soldiers, I think. This, I think this could dog. One of the soldiers. He's got fantastic eyebrows. <laughs> I wouldn't mess with him. <laughs> Cerberus. He's only got one head. Okay, so there's no. The, none, none of the women. There's, no, there's no. There's no, um, there's no record of what, what the women did or, or their, their thoughts or their inner lives or their outer lives for that matter at all that's partly because you're talking about a clerical institution mm. I'm sure that soldiers didn't go without their kisses and cuddles um, but history doesn't record but the priests did yet. possibly supposedly possibly mm. <laughs> possibly exactly that's, that's feasible um, well what a shame maybe that, that, that was but then again I suppose why would, a, why would women be particularly happy and want to talk about living on a very windy hill with no water it all sounds well, completely they, hellish there is, a, there is a very interesting um, I've forgotten what it's called now uh, not a lectionary there's some word for it and, um, like a diary of, of what's going on which is in the archives at Salisbury Cathedral that does have quite a few of these letters and these accounts of, of what it was like um, which is like gold dust for us because we can really tell from eyewitness accounts exactly what was going on. But again, as far as I know, there's no presence of women there at all. That's interesting. Did you, did you teach yourself as you, were, as you were walking about all the wildflowers? Or did, well, did you carry a book or, or, no, or go home? And, um, and It was partly looking for myself. It's partly a wonderful book called by Fitter, Fitter and Blamey, I'm sure you know it, called something like The Wildflowers of, of Britain and Europe. That had meticulous paintings of each of the flowers, Beautifully, beautiful illustrations. And it's still in print. It's still a really good um, general guide. Um, and partly my wife, Jane, who was a botanist at, at university and knows all this sort of stuff. Um, and she, she's walked with me you know, for the last nearly 50 years. And, um, and uh, she, she's very good at identifying these things and letting me know about them. I was wondering how you uh, managed to have a family life and spend your entire life walking, but you take your family life with you. Uh, well, if... Jane isn't my whole family life because I have four children and <laughs> some grandchildren too. <laughs> Maybe but, um, I mean your wife rather than your life. My family wife. <laughs> your wife, just your wife. Uh, she and I have worked together very, pretty much exclusively for the last 15 years or so. Um, but before then, I, I'm, I could never have written all the books I'd written or done the journalism I'd done if she hadn't supported me and backed me up all the way and made life, you know, made life extremely easy for me, really. And so I'm extremely grateful to her. And... I've worked hard, of course, and she's worked hard, and it's you know, it's wonderful to be able to work with somebody that you feel in tune with, and you can learn from, and maybe do a little bit of teaching too. So you're you know you're, you're learning together. That's the great thing. That's a- not not many people, you know. A lot of people say to me, uh, "How on earth can you you know how on earth can you work with your wife?" But it's natural. It's easy. Oh yes, absolutely, and but also you ha- you do. It, you're not sitting in, in an office, um, going into an office every day. Perhaps it's it, the fact is you're working together, but a lot of that involves walking in beautiful yeah. countryside. So absolutely, being in the out, being the outdoors and and learning all the time. Mm. That's that's a, it's such a privilege. You know, you can you can uh, say, you know, when the when the when the white hairs are out, out, outnumber the grey, uh, you could say, well, that's the end of my life. You know, I've and now I can put my feet up and and relax. But I, I can't think of anything worse. I really love doing this, and a lot of people say. You know, you write, for the, write about walking for the newspapers, you're outside all the time, best job in the world. It is, there's a little bit of hard work involved, but, but basically um, I agree with them. Don't you have um, uh, sort of, haven't you had sort of plenty of nights in hotels where you're thinking actually all I want to do is go home now? No. Doesn't bother you. So you get to the hotel and you do your writing and then off you go the next I, day. Yes, exactly. That's the idea is to, is to if you can, if you've got the energy to, to write what, to to, to take the notes you've made during a day and write them up into an article at night 
uh, that's the best thing of all because then it's your mind is clear from it. Also, you're not having to go back to your home and maybe six months later sit down with an illegible set of notes where you can't remember what you felt or what the what the atmosphere was. You've got the bald, you know, mullein growing on bank, but you can't remember how, how it looked and how you felt as you saw it and how it related to the, the other things you're seeing and the, the bees that come to it and the butterflies that were nearby, so forth. If so, you can take that, that mishmash or that stew of, of information and, um, and cook it and, and put it down uh, before, you, before, you, before it's gone out of your mind, before the next thing has come along and cleaned the mind, um, it's the best possible thing. But you need the energy. That's the thing. Yeah, I, I mean, how many times I've, I've been on lovely walks or on adventures or on sort of fascinating holidays mm. and not written about it until a few months later when someone says, you really ought to write that down and I can't. Yeah. It's gone. Yes, I mean, I think there are, there are people who've trained themselves to, to encapsulate everything. And also you could say, if you have a, a period of time, a period of reflection, maybe what you're seeing, what you're seeing is more balanced. So you can see, you can say, well, I remember that walk. And actually, butterflies only took up 2% of the time. And 90% of the time, I was thinking about soldiers. So that should be the way I write it. But then you've, you haven't caught it hot. Mm. You haven't, uh, you haven't um, caught the essence of it, in, in, in my view. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. So, um, where are we going across this? Uh, across, uh, across the across the um, causeway there, and um, up through. You can see where the causeway makes a V between the banks. This, I guess, this probably was one of the gates actually of the original. Yeah. The original. Um, so we're going into the town. Anyway, we're going, going up into the. We're going up. First of all, we're going up in, onto a, a plateau, a green plateau, uh, and you'll see that the mound which the Normans made to put the castle on is like a hub in the middle of a, a wheel but we're going off the wheel first the flat plateau and that's where the um, Iron Age uh, people who built this would have had their dwellings and that's also where the great cathedral was, was built and where the town around it would have been situated too All of it together, brilliant, yeah. let's go mm. Let's nail first that's the... Yes, these umbellifers don't get much attention because people just say cow parsley, see that all the time but, to, but Insects, look at this one. Yeah. This, look at the one with the snail at the top. Snails like to climb up these. I've, I've sometimes seen five or six dead snails just clinging to the top where they've, they've got. Presumably gone to die, but why? Oh. Who knows? Oh. You think <laughs> it's, gone, it's gone to die up there? No, that one is... Um, I, I don't know. How, health, how can you tell when a, he- a snail's healthy? Well, I mean... It's got, you know, it's got nice, bright, shiny teeth and red cheeks. It looks... Um, you know, plenty of teeth, apparently. Mm, pretty but well. I, I would have thought if it was clinging on that it's fairly alive. What's that? What's that? What's that? That? <laughs> God knows. <laughs> what a wonderful thing. It's a, about a sort of a three quarters of an inch long with a, or an inch long with a, a stripy yellow head and these magnificent antennae like a, like a shrimp. Um, what are they? They're about an inch and a half long each and they've got um, um, sort of zebra stripes on them. Mm, black and white striped antennae. And, and the bobbly back. <laughs> and a, 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 a yellow and black sort of head. No, God, I can't. Yes, I think it's, it's got a yes, it's got a, a, a horny head, which seems to be divided into two. So, and it's clinging on with those how many legs? There's six legs for dear life. Each leg has a little hook on the, on the end. I can see it sort of bending its antenna. Maybe it's saying, "Oh, hang on a minute, what, what's going on out there?" Uh, I'm not really sure. I should think it can probably might be able to feel our breath. It might be able to have the hear the vibrations of our voices. I don't, uh-huh. suppose, it, don't suppose it really cares. Maybe it's after that snail. That would be an interesting, <laughs> uh, an interesting smackdown. I think it could be after the little green um, aphids which we've seen running up and down these stalks. But, but I, I really don't know. But we don't know it, even if it is it, some form of beetle or I just am I know. just embarrassing myself? I now? think it's I think it's called an insect, and that's about as far as we can go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll we'll have to uh, look it up. Yeah, I'd like to. I'd we'll like have to look it up. Well, for, for for those listeners who are good at um, mm. this sort of thing, do you think we've given them enough of a description? Do you think, think they'll say th- straight away, "Oh, that's the"? Yeah, I think if we call it a, a, a striped feeler warty back, they should be able to get it. <laughs> There's a little shield bug on the back of my hand. That's a very tiny a shield green, bug. Little green shield bug. Yeah. I don't know why I'm putting the microphone on the shield bug, as if it might now see, see if tell it's us. So, so. <laughs> How are you doing? It's a nice hand, this. <laughs> <laughs> very, very, well, it's quite hairy, the hand, but it's managing to yes. navigate. Negotiate the forest. <laughs> Let's see if it likes my orange anorak sleeve. Yes, much better. Oh, yes, look at that. God. The 40-yard 40, 40 dash now. I'll, I'll just... 
Yeah. Relocation. Gosh, isn't that... Yeah, when, once you stop, there's endless insects. To, yeah, I know. To, sorry, I'm nice just going to stop guy. you for these lovely yeah. white flowers. Do you know these ones, Christopher? Like, uh, yes, that's a bladder campion. Did you say bladder campion? Yeah. And is there some medicinal connection with um, bladders, do you know? I think it's just they've got a bladder on them. OK. But um, they could be. Let me just try and see. What does... Let me just pick one up. Uh, ladybird, ladybird. It's always nice to see a ladybird. Sorry, um, so here we are. Lots of clover on here, and, and of course there's been a great buttercup. Yeah, there are. There's a there's a large tortoiseshell butterfly. Tortoiseshell. And uh, as we come out from the top here, you can see there's the mound ahead of us, and uh, the castle, such as it is, the stubs of flint walls. And looking over there, the the to the south, the spire of the cathedral, the spire. always drawing the always drawing the eye. So amazing, that spire. So we'll, we'll go around the corner here. So come down. Um, yes, come down. Come to the to the uh, um, explanation board. That might be the best thing to do. But we don't need an explanation board, do we? Because we've got you, Christopher. Yes, but it's, it'll give you an idea of the whole layout of the thing. Oh, okay, okay. And if this is if this is to do with the cathedral, not the uh, no, I think it's the castle. No, no use to it. Okay, well, oh, but uh, there's more. There's that one. Yeah. So we're just approaching the foundations of the cathedral. That's or right. the, Yeah. Yes, they've, they've um, excavated them to, as they usually do, to a height of about a foot. But um, the, lay the layout you'll see is quite sophisticated. OK, so the layout of a cathedral, if we come here... This is the sort of apse at the end of it, so that's the extreme east end. And it stretches all the way down there. This is huge. The west end, it's absolutely enormous. And you can imagine, what we're seeing at the moment is just a, like a flat floor plan with a few raised buildings. But uh, if you imagine the whole building, re I don't know, what was it, 150, 200 feet high perhaps, rising up here, it would have been an awe-inspiring thing, especially to locals who've never seen that sort of thing before. And you can see why they put... I mean, the view is spectacular from here. You can see why they put it here. Yeah. Well, maybe they weren't thinking of the view, but it's well, very they were, good. They were probably thinking of the, of the um, nearer-to-God business. Yeah. So that, this is all flint. Incredible. Impossible to work with, surely. Knobbly flints. Um, actually, very easy to work oh, with once, once you've got the expertise. Okay. Because is, this is, these aren't carefully laid and, and shaped flints with, the, with the, you know, the ends snapped off. This is just collect all the flints you can and bung them together. And then leave your fancy work for the outside, which you can see a little bit of just there, looking at the transept. That's the outside wall of the transept, and that—that's you can see the flints are a bit more carefully sort of worked. But, but it's, bung it's them together with a bit of um, mud and. Oh, not mud. No cement. Oh. Proper proper cement. Oh. Mortar, I should say. Okay. Not cement. Good. Mortar, yes. <laughs> Mortar them together. So this is the. This would be the a processional aisle down which all the priests and singers would, would process. Um, then you've got a side apse here, like a, like a transept. So if you can imagine, the, the cathedral walls would make a right angle here and bulge out this way. The central altar would have been up there. I'm at the main altar, you know. And then this was these are the remnants of pillars which would have held up that roof, that, that, that unreliable, leaky wind-driven roof. Are we pointing at this? Yeah, there's the pillar, there's a right. lump of flint. Yeah. Lump, lump of flint. Mm. Gosh. So then we come round the corner and this is the main uh, nave of the, of the cathedral coming down there, stretching away into the distance. It's, we've already walked, what have we walked, about 40 or 50 paces. All round would have been, or uh, respectful distance, would have been the houses of the, the township, which is... Which grew up here but mostly clerics as canons houses the bishops the bishop's house would have been over there that that thing there rather a magnificent looking um domestic the one here the one here just there that would have been because that's right next door whereas others would have been spread much further out Fur further away yes. and um so the, the the reason we don't we can't see any remnants of them is just simply that nobody's dug them up or uh they're not they're not they have the whole site's been excavated oh. but i possibly Possibly stones from this were used in the new cathedral down in the down in the um, valley, or um, they would have been used in farms and barns round about. Everybody okay, would yeah. have known Old Sarum yeah. as a great quarry for ready ready shaped right. stones. So anything which wasn't just a flint lump, and even flint lumps would have been sort of handy handily lying here for the barrow. 
So when, when, when are we talking about when it was sort of abandoned and people could come and collect what they wanted? What sort of time well, are we have, talking about? So you had the, you had the building, uh, the, the first building, which is smaller than this. Then you had this fantastic building put up in 1120, 1130. So what are we now, 800 years ago. Um, and that lasted for about 100 years. Um, Agro all the time between the 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 uh, guys on the in, in the castle and the clerics here. They're not um, actually very far away from very each other. Close, you see. They're only I think, what's <laughs> that? You can walk that in one minute. So if you wanted to, you, you know, if you if you want to make rude signals from the castle, or you know, if you wanted to block the the um, the cannons from getting to the cathedral, all you had to do is to put a couple of squaddies in the right place, and, and and they wouldn't be able to get past. So this was the sort of stuff that happened. So they just give each other rude looks through the through the sort of holes in the walls. Now the imagination's going. <laughs> I could, possibly not also rude looks. There could have been a few. You know. I'm not sure. Hand signals. Yes, that hand was a hand signals, signals. Hand signals. <laughs> um, and uh, so I'm probably I'm slightly exaggerating for Farce's sake, probably. Yeah, but there was there is a, a narrative of anger and obstruction and you know just being bloody awkward between between the different um, the two camps so in the end when the, this cathedral was about 100 years old they applied to to, to 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 move to the pope they had to get a special dispensation he 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 issued that in 1218 and within two years they were gone they were out of here once the once the cathedral was gone and the trade was gone and there wasn't really much need for this castle in this particular place um, nothing to guard, no one to guard it. Uh, the military drifted away. The castle fell into ruin. By the by, Tudor times, the castle was not much different from the way it looks now. And at the end of the um, at the end of the civil war in the 17th century, Cromwell had it slighted, meaning um, re- rendered rendered um, in- incapable of being um, defended. Walls pulled down and so on. Um, it's just been crumbling crumbling to pieces ever since. When when they as soon as they moved to the New site in the in the meadows by the river Avon down there. It was just as if a, a floodgate had been removed from a, from a lock. The, there was this great gush of optimism, energy, um, enthusiasm for the future, and the king um, offered all the timber they needed. Um, somebody else offered lots of um, lovely stone from their quarry, and there was just this desire to be involved with the new with the new project. As soon as that cathedral began to be built. The, the, the idea was uh, for a new town to be to be established, um, which could have charters for fairs and markets, and there could be shops, and there could be streets, and taverns, and marketplaces, and uh, um, slaughterhouses, and everything that people needed to maintain commerce. But a bit like establishing a new town, and same same idea, new town corporation. So there was self-interest, and there was also this idea that if you were associated with the building of a new cathedral you were getting nearer to God. And so the so the town of Salisbury was built around the cathedral. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And if you go down there you'll see that there's a cathedral close, so things were sort of kept at a you know, the vulgar citizenry were kept at a remove. But the cathedral couldn't 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 do without the town and the revenue it brought in. And the town of course couldn't do without the cathedral and the revenue that brought in. So it was a it was mutual self interest. These are the chapels at the West End. Oh, I thought they might be sort of little private rooms where they would, I don't know, get changed. Huddle. Get changed? Change, room. change rooms, yeah. <laughs> Lemons at half time. All right. <laughs> That's what they have now. Oh, here's a, here's a nice artist's impression of what it would have been like. That's great, isn't it? So we're looking at the nave of the cathedral. Oh, my. So this is where the ordinary wow. people would come. And you can see, just imagine the light through those windows and how beautiful it all looked. That's incredible. Mm. Burgers and their ladies, and ladies and their burgers. Um, not eating in the cathedral, but the um, members of the town. <laughs> <laughs> lovely checkered floor, lovely tall um, pillars leading to a flat roof with diamond patterns, and then a lovely arch leading through into the into the, into the sanctuary beyond, where only uh, the priests were allowed to go. We don't know how long it would have taken to build this cathedral, do we? Yeah, I well, I think it was. I think it. It was a, a process, so probably 20, 30 years, perhaps, I don't know. 
what's lovely is that the, what they're saying in the description here is mm. that it was used not just for religious for religious ceremonies but for everything. So actually, the the the, popu- the people who lived here did make most of it. It's only a fairly a fairly recent um, development that the nave was considered to be as sort of solemn as the rest of the cathedral. Before mm. that, naves were used for political meetings and mm. and um, markets and and um, general meetings. As much to do with the local the local community, and it's 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 non ecclesiastical goings on, mm. as 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 more religious purposes. Mm. Interestingly, the fascination with an interest in the cathedral as a as a religious centre has grown, as it's dropped off in the parish church. People don't really seem to want any more that sort of hushed hour on a Sunday morning with five of your neighbours, all of whom probably know what you're thinking and. And you don't really want to be exposed in a small in a small group, and then afterwards somebody come up and say, "By the way, the parish council desperately needs a treasurer." We're just wondering if somebody could, you know, there, there's a there's an there's an obligation to the local community which a lot of people don't want to take on. Um, whereas a cathedral, it's anonymous. You're in there. You're getting the best light, the best preaching, the best singing, the feeling of it, the the magnificence, the awe or grandeur of it suits people better. So so it's a paradox, really, that the cathedrals are strapped for cash, but they're getting more and more people in. Well, that, it's amazing, because I often will go into a cathedral just on my own mm. when there's nothing going on, because it's the most peaceful place in the world. Yeah. It's fantastic. You've visited, presumably, um, certainly every cathedral in Britain, because you've written about all of them? Is that... No. Oh, um, is, if, it, if you, what's, is, is it Ships of, Ships of Heaven? Is that... That's my book. Ships and, of Heaven. About the Ships of Heaven, and there's... there's 42 Anglican cathedrals and there's hundred there's more than a hundred cathedrals of all sorts. Um, if you visited them all and wrote about them at the length I wrote about the ones I did visit, um, you'd have several books and you, know, you couldn't pick them up. Um, so I chose a number and those are the ones I've written about quite extensively, Salisbury being one of them, and they are remarkable, remarkable buildings. Were, were there any um, individuals? Uh, uh, where we where we are now in Old Sarum on this mm. site in the cathedral or the military, were there any particular individuals that stood out? Well, the one, um, the the Bishop de Poor who who organised the building of this obviously was one, but there was also Canon Peter de Blois, who was he was a canon here and he was a historian, a writer, and he had a chum who was who was uh, abbot of, of Fountains Abbey, and he used to write to him, and he's the person we most rely on for our. Accounts of you know, the, the wrecked ceilings and the and the anger and the the discomfort and the feeling that um, Peter had of of being in a caged lion, you know, um, with, within these walls, and he couldn't just couldn't wait to be gone. Oh gosh, interesting. Mm. And he did he go or did he did, did he die up here or did he manage to go down? Below? I don't know the answer. Maybe maybe no. again maybe one of our listeners knows that. <laughs> We're relying on them for a lot of information. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, this 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 is the whole thing is try and get a dialogue going rather than be the, the omnipotent. This grass, by the way, is covered in this stuff called black medic, which is this, strange enough, this yellow flower, a little <laughs> tiny yellow flower. Black medic with a yellow flower. Mm. And it's tiny and does... Do you think it's loved by insects? It must be. Um, something must love it. Maybe it's mother. And there's also um, yeah. what we used to call scrambled eggs, the, the um, bird's foot trefoil, this one, this one here. That's I love that name. I think it's amazing. Family, bird's foot trefoil. Yeah. Should Are we, we going see if we can get round to the, to the castle? I, I, I think that would be great if we can go up hmm. there, yeah, and have a look from, from up there. And so we've, we've, we can see what the military were looking down upon. Literally. Yeah. Oops. Dog roses, those, huh? Oh, it's very pretty. And uh, they smell absolutely gorgeous. Oh. I'm not sure if I can... Safely go in. Come on. I think we can. Can't we? That's quite a slope. Oh, am I going in? Oh, my God. Uh, yes, Does probably. it suddenly go down? Yeah, I should think so. Okay. Oh, you can try. What the hell? No, Christopher, we can't lose you. It's all going so well. <laughs> Let's pull on this one. Maybe it'll pull the rest of us towards it. No, 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 nothing. No. no. Oh. I'm somebody, not going to pretend. Somebody must have stolen that scent. <laughs> Some swine. <laughs> Some scent pirate. <laughs> Damn them. Mm. That's a wooden, wooden bridge crossing the, crossing the, the moat. And that again, you know, they, I mean, just as they did, um, say, 3,000 years ago, the, uh, the, the Normans, 1,000 years ago, had exactly the same idea. Build a great big ditch and you'll prevent people getting into your place. We can see the layout 
yes. of the old cathedrals. So. Yeah, honestly, from the castle walls here, you get this wonderful view looking all the way around the compass. Um, if you look over to the, to the south, you can see, of course, the spire and the, and the cathedral all laid out there with those red-roofed and grey-roofed houses of Salisbury. You notice how it's in a bowl. So even though you come into the bowl, you expect the, the cathedral to be buried, that massive spire always draws the eye. And then looking, looking around the, the, the um, plateau here at the top of the hill, you can see the whole layout of the cathedral now very conveniently sort of laid out in front of you, um, the foundation plan, with the apse towards this end and that west end over there, and these two arms stretching out each side, and then with the bishop's houses and the, the other sort of um, dents and bumps and bits of wall which show where the rest of the buildings were. You can imagine this space, say on procession day, if the whole soldiers weren't, weren't um, being stroppy, um, <laughs> filled up with people and colour, life, everybody shouting, children running about, the stinks of a, of a medieval settlement and the, you know, the wood smoke and so on and, and uh, just the feeling of joy and, and delight that would, would have been around, around in those days at any kind of religious ceremony where it was a, 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 it's a day to cut loose and kick your heels over your head and, and have some fun. Um, that's the way I like to think of it. That's... A lovely um, image that will remain in my mind. Thank you so much, Christopher. So that was the wonderful walker and writer, Christopher Somerville, bringing the lost town of Old Sarum so beautifully to life there. The smells, the sights, and the great story of how a town gets abandoned. And obviously modern Salisbury has taken its place. So fantastic. And thank you to Christopher. And thank you also to our own wonderful Annabelle Ross for a truly delightful ramble in the countryside. And so nice to hear the sounds of early summer with those corn buntings and yellow hammers in the background and all sorts of beautiful sounds. So that, that was a lovely adventure. So Old Sarum is an English heritage site and can be visited. I think at the moment you have to book to visit, but it's well worth a visit. And you get beautiful views, as Christopher described, down to the Salisbury Cathedral and the modern city of Salisbury. And talking of cathedrals, Christopher's book, Ships of Heaven, The Private Life of Britain's Cathedrals, is published by Doubleday and really worth a read. These real sort of inside story on our greatest monuments. Talking of great monuments, I'm joined <laughs> in the podcast studio by podcast producer Jack Bateman. Uh, Jack, really good to see you again. How are you? I'm I'm very good. I mean, I know I'm tall, but monuments a bit. That's a, <laughs> that's a bit of a key in the teeth. <laughs> well, I I think um, I, I mean it in the, in the kindest and uh, <laughs> like historic sense. <laughs> I'll let you off. I'll let you off. Um, Hannah tribe who is normally with us is poorly today so unfortunately she's not able to record in the studio in our virtual studio uh, but we wish her well and I'm sure she'll be back next week for our podcast chat. So Jack have you been um, have you been out and about exploring the wilds like uh, Christopher and Annabelle? I have been out a little bit I've been getting away from the computer. Uh, That's which good. Is... It's hard at this time of year isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Where did you go? Uh, only just a uh, sort of out and about around uh, my local area. I think uh there was, especially in the last week or so, there's been some days, especially on the weekend, where the weather's been pretty bad. So anytime it's been relatively nice, a bit of sun, or even just a bit overcast, but dry, I've been trying to get out and just take some time to get some fresh air, which I think is kind of important, especially when you're working quite a bit, just to get out yeah. and get back to nature. To, to, to everyone out there, Jack is one of the hardest working podcast <laughs> producers in the business. I mean, he literally is working all hours. So we're very lucky to get him and his input and his craft in shaping the podcast. So good to have you, Jack. Um, monumental, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did have a, an adventure. I've also been having a bit of cabin fever, um, you know, some holidays and just busy, busy, busy. But I managed to get up onto a hill nearby me in the Brecon Beacons here, a hill called Bryn Aru, which featured earlier this year in a podcast with woodsman Rob Penn. And it's being rewilded or retreed anyway. So I was up there with a friend and on the very top of the hill, there are hundreds, if not thousands of ant nests and hills. And so you get this sort of very uh, sort of bumpy, lumpy landscape tufts of grass and heather and bits and bobs and it was a i mean you don't get them often each year but a flying ant day so when the ants send their males and females off their potential new queens uh and you get clouds of flying ants 
And when I say clouds, I mean the air thronged with millions, if not billions of insects. It was incredible. I was covered in these ants all over. And I mean, pretty horrifying to some people. For me, it was like a sign that nature's rich and beautiful and vibrant and wonderful. And I found on the ground near one series of ant hills, a sort of ant city, so many ants that they covered you couldn't see the foliage it was just black for several square meters and the noise of them as they scurried around was audible from i paced 10 paces away i could still hear the sounds of their billions of ant feet so i did record it and this sort of rustling hissing noise that you're about to hear is billions of ants (laughs) on their on their flying ant day which is ant festival day So that's the sound of um, ants at uh, ant, ant festival. It's about ant Glastonbury. That's crazy. I mean, I know I've kind of got a. I've, I've seen them. I had a little ants nest in my garden uh, that turned out to be flying ants. And I remember just one morning walking down my path, and I just noticed there was like this weird. It almost looked a bit like TV static. There's just this sort of this black fuzzy sort of pattern on the floor. I was like, what the heck heck's that? And then as you got closer, I realised it was loads of just flying ants sort of all circling yeah. around each other. I've, I've never seen anything like it before. But obviously it was too small to sort of hear anything like that. But that is, that sounds crazy from such a small animal. Yeah, I've never seen anything. As a spectacle, a wildlife spectacle, it's, you know, gobsmacking. I couldn't believe it. And it, it just happens on rare days. What they do is the ant nests prepare. They get, they, they sort of, grow from all the, all the eggs that are laid normally they just get little workers but on for these special occasions they they sort of breed grow ants with wings so the males are the smaller ones and the females are the bigger ones and they all cloud up together and mix with the ants from other nests and mate and then a few lucky survivors go off to found new colonies the, the, all the males die and just a few queens that don't get eaten by swallows and meadow pipits and whatever lizards everything eats them they sneak off and hopefully found but so out of all those billions there might be just two or three colonies founded it's just astonishing crazy to, to think so i'm glad to share that uh, it's really extraordinary but i also you know that's my sound of the week but we do have a listener's sound of the week actually this week jack i think you've you've got it i have indeed i've got a sound of the week and it comes from martin adamchik And he says, hello again to the podcast team. So good to hear your voices again, live, I mean. I have listened to all your previous episodes of the podcast, recovering from double wisdom teeth pool and accompanied by a Waimarama recovering from ACL surgery. Uh, If this recording qualifies, it is a sound that I think Fergus will enjoy the most. It is a cuckoo with substantially more espresso than it should have had. It was recorded on a calm day in May on the east slopes overlooking Lake Como. And uh, Martin also ends his email with a picture of his dog saying Noodles says hello. Wow, hello Noodles. Well, let's have a listen. Let's have a listen to this then. Uh, Martin, that's brilliant. That is an absolutely, well, as you say, an espresso and obviously in Lake Como in northern Italy. So, yeah, that's he, he probably has been tucking into several espressos. That's I've never heard one go quite that, quite that speed. Brilliant. Thank you. I think Hannah likes a cuckoo as well. So in a way, it's a shame uh, she's not here with us this week. She's ne- never heard one in, in the wild. So uh, uh, we still haven't rectified that. We'll do it next year. Maybe we'll send her to Lake Como on a, on a, on a mission. Um, <laughs> how exciting. Well, poor old, um, poor old Noodles had ACL. I had to look up what ACL is. It's anterior cruciate ligament. So it sounds pretty painful. And, yeah. Uh, poor doggy. Um, thank you, Martin, and good luck to Noodles. And please do send more sounds of the countryside, whatever they may be. The gurgle of a stream or the drone of a lazy aeroplane on a late summer's day. We love to hear them because they just evoke what we love about the countryside, all those little little adventurous moments. 
Um, I'm going to delve into the post bag as Hannah isn't here. Uh, I've got very long arms today. I'm delving right down into the bag. <laughs> and um, I've got a very interesting email in from Julian Ravest. Um, and he says, I was looking for images of holy wells on the internet for comparison with one I recently photographed in Radnorshire, which is sort of mid-Wales. And he attaches a couple of images which show a well bearing a striking resemblance to the one we used with our podcast, which was episode two of series eight, our water season. And that was a podcast that I recorded in in Wales, uh, near my home in the Brecon Beacons. Really fun one, real quest to find a sort of little ancient ruin. Julian goes on to say, the previously unrecorded well I have photographed is near Llandrindod Wells. One side of it has collapsed, but it still retains a square pool of clear water. There are no churches nearby, and it is in a very low population density area. Curiously, it is also close to a stream, so it was clearly not a primary source of water. The nearest site of archaeological interest is the Roman fort of Casteth Cochlan, a few hundred metres away, although Roman roads to the fort pass close by. Listening to your podcast reminds me strongly of forays I make into the hills to find archaeological sites. I use a drone to photograph sites with photogametry to capture landscape features, mainly within Radnorshire. And he says, I was brought up in Abergavenny, so know something of the landscape you are exploring. Excellent podcast. Julian, there's so many things to unpick there. Thank you so much. It's really great that you enjoyed the podcast and you found some overlap with what you're doing. I, the thing I found most interesting, apart from I'm going to have to look up what photogametry is, is that you are finding unrecorded sites. And that is really interesting, particularly for this history and mystery season. I've always just assumed that everything is sort of on the map and known, you know, obviously not completely but it's lovely that someone with interest and a bit of knowledge can go out and find places and add them to the kind of archaeological map. I find that really exciting. Oh, definitely. I think, especially in this time, you assume that with all the technology we have, that some big company would have already sort of scoured the the UK and the, the world and gone, wow, we've now captured everything we know where everything is. There's not really much that we don't know about. But to still be able to find little places that are... And little items that aren't recorded is it's, it's amazing. Yeah, I love that. And maybe we should sort of, well, anything we find on our forays, we will now take photos of and post on our Facebook page. Um, you can see our Facebook page, uh, Country File Magazine on Facebook, and we post stuff about the podcast on there too. So you can also post your images and send us sounds and comments through that. But um, yeah, well, Julian, keep us posted of any more finds you have. And maybe one of us will come up to your part of the world in Radnorshire and we can go on a podcast adventure together. I'd love that. Just briefly, if you'd like to get in touch with us, send us thoughts about the podcast, photos that you've taken of the countryside or recordings for Sounds of the Week, please send them to editor at countryfile.com and they'll come to me, Fergus Collins. I'm the editor of Countryfile magazine as well as the host of this podcast. You can also leave thoughts, reviews and ratings on whichever podcast provider you use. It's a huge help to us, so we really appreciate that. But for now, I think that's the end of this current podcast. Join us next week when I head off to the far north of Scotland to climb a rather terrifying mountain and tell some of the strange tales associated with it. But thanks very much for listening and goodbye for now.